0: Hello, everybody. We welcome you to this week's edition of Inside the Lines, the high school sports podcast here on scoops with and the high school sports caravan. I'm Jim Powers. Glad to have you with us as the spring seasons are starting to wind down a little bit. District play in a lot of the sports is going to begin here in the next couple of weeks. And once again, girls soccer at the forefront what a terrific year we have seen so many outstanding teams which is no surprise if you follow girls soccer here in the area but narex hall has been terrific once again all year long and joining us is their head coach brian Haddockson. and brian what another great year for for narex and you know you guys got a big win over previously undefeated st joe's last week talk a little bit about the season so far Sure, Jim. Thanks for having me and
1: for being such a good proponent of uh, of high school soccer and specifically the girls game. Uh, yeah, the Narek's markers this year, we've had a really good season. Uh, the program's at a really good, good place right now, we feel. Um, it's taken a while to get there, but we really like uh, the status of the program right now with our experience and then a lot of the younger newcomers on the team. Uh, yeah, within the last few weeks, you brought up the St. Joseph's game. That was a headliner game, as it is every year for us. It's a school rivalry in all the sports that Narek's plays, um, and soccer is no different. What makes that game special um, is is the fact that a lot of these kids know each other. Um, the, these girls play club soccer with and against the girls over at St. Joe's, as do a lot of our rivals and Ursuline and Corriezo, and the list goes on and on. Um, and a lot of these kids grew up with each other um, in the same parish networks, so this game, you know, has this added uh, incentive, I think, for both teams. It was an outstanding game um, th- that the two teams had. We got out of there with a 2-0 win. But, you know, sometimes the score is deceiving. That was a 0-0 game with 11 minutes to go on the clock. Uh, one of our seniors snuck in and got a real nice headball goal to put us up one nothing, And we got our second goal literally with a, a second and a half on the clock. So, you know, in soccer, like a lot of sports, scores can be deceiving. And when you see that 2 nothing score in soccer, I, I'm the first one to tell you, as objectively as I can be, that was not a 2 nothing game. Those two teams are about as tight as it gets in Missouri high school soccer.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And you guys just seem to, you know, step up big in big games. And, you know, I think a lot of it really revolves around, you know, who you have up front for you and Nina Presser has been terrific for you. Also, Haley Braun, talk a little bit about those two and just the knack that they have to be able to get in the right spot up front to get some good shots on goal and to get you guys going offensively. Yeah. You mentioned
1: Nina and and Haley and those two are uh, a a two huge chunk of our attack. We've got, I think 11 girls that have scored goals this year Uh, with the schedule that we play. That's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Nina and Haley are up there with with some of our leading goal scorers, as is uh, Emma Gianino and uh, Ella and Lauren Seppi. Um, and I bring up all these players in our attack because we're not one dimensional. And mm-hmm. and I think when you see our roster, um, you know you see some all-state returners. But if you stop them, you know there's a few others that you got to have to deal with if if you shut down, say, Nina or Haley. So. I really prefer teams like that, you know, where we go deep. Uh, We have girls in our starting lineup. We even have girls in our defensive back line that uh, that have scored multiple goals.
0: And that's that's remarkable. Yeah, you know, but also you look at your assists. It's just not one or two ladies that, that are distributing for you. I mean, my gosh, almost you look at your roster, almost everybody's got a helper in a goal this year. And you've got to love as a head coach that balanced, you know, attack so to say, where you got kids who are so unselfish to to get an extra pass in so that somebody else can get get a better shot on goal.
1: Yeah, you know, this is probably, you know, not using too many um extremities here, but like it's it's one of the most unselfish teams we've coached and that's that's not easy to be when when you've got so many players that are, you know, quote unquote returning all conference players or all state players and Uh, We have a handful of players that are having the opportunity to play at the collegiate level, some division one players, some division two players. So everybody kind of wants the piece of that pie. You know, everybody wants Jim powers to talk about them, but we are so unselfish. And, you know, when I see a kid like Emma Giannino who's going to Dayton and she's got six assists, you know, through like 14 games um, that just speaks volumes, not just about her, but just the whole team mentality of not relying on just the sole power of one or two kids. Um, But I will say this, Jim, you know, all, all bets aside, we can score some goals, but we've only given up two goals all year. And I think our offense starts with a wonderful defense. And when I say defense, I'm not just talking about our defenders who are phenomenal players. We rely on our attackers who you just mentioned to be our first line of defense, and that high pressure system that we like to play, um, just like we in, enjoy our backs, you know, sneaking up in the attack and kind of enjoying some uh, some of the ball in our attack too. So it's kind of a yin and yang,
0: I think, that makes this group so, uh, so special. Well, the other part that makes this group so special is that young lady you've got in goal, and Caroline Ritter. What a year she's having! Uh, you know, once again, only given up a couple goals this year. Her save percentage is ninety two. And she is a leader back there for you. She makes sure that everybody is where they need to be, especially on set pieces. You know, she she's directing traffic as well as anybody that I've ever seen back between the pipes on the high school level.
1: Yeah, she she is phenomenal. She is, what makes her most special, she's a multi-sport athlete. Uh, she's a very good basketball player. You'll see her name with our basketball program at Narek's. Um Kind of the new mold of a goalkeeper. You know, when you think back traditionally when I played, you know, you think about that big, uh, strong kid who just gobbles everything up out of the air. And she's got some really good hands with her basketball prowess, but she has phenomenal feet. And we use her a lot as our kind of our our springboard and our possession and our attack. Um, She's not the loudest kid, so her personality sometimes – doesn't match what you think of a crazy goalkeeper to be. Uh, But the leadership, her calming presence, you know, there's never like a play, a game, a flurry of shots where she kind of loses her head. She has that calm composure. And if she makes a mistake, she's got this unique, like next play mentality where she just pops right back up, um, makes all the saves that she needs to. And then occasionally, like any any goalie, you know, if I could use a hockey scenario here or an analogy, she occasionally makes that show shop show stopping save to keep a game zero zero or to keep us up one nothing.
0: Yeah, without a doubt, and she's once again just absolutely terrific. And you know, we're we're heading into playoffs. This is a Nerics team that that has just been terrific for the last couple of years, and and once again, and we're going to get into this here in a minute. I still go back to that state championship game last year and, you know, with the crowd and I I just felt so bad that somebody had to lose that game on the dot, Brian. I mean, you know, just sitting there, just watching two high level teams play. How do you as a coaching staff, keep those kids, you know, engaged and ready to go coming into the playoffs again, having the reputation of being in the state final four and playing in that championship game over the last few years and really, keeping everybody laser focused to where we have a job to do to get back to where we want to get back to.
1: Yeah. Well, if you start about talking about that game, it's a shame that that game had to end. Um, I, I, I'm afraid I don't know how many days that game would have stayed zero
0: zero though. I guess. Hey, I, I, had had pillow, I had my blanket and pillow. I had my blanket pillow up in the press box waiting. <laughs> I, I was ready to go all night if we needed to. That's how much fun that game was.
1: Yeah, it, it was. It was special. Again, another opponent that there's a lot of common uh, common players that know each other, um, and then we have a, a large chunk of girls that got to experience that. And whether they were on the field or not, you know, to answer your question about moving forward you know, that's a priceless situation. And if we're fortunate enough with this group or, or the next group to get back to that game, um, you know, there's no X's and O's or film session or, you know, rah-rah motivational speech that can trump what that experience made. So the coaching point there is, hey, if we're in a game like that, whether it's a district, district final or a quarterfinal to set us there or a semis or et cetera, I think we lean on that experience in that dominant game. You know, things like, what were you feeling when it was 0-0 in overtime? Was there a second gear that you could have given us? Uh, Was there maybe a mental focus that you could have kept in the waning moments in that game? Um, What what was going through your mind when you were, uh, you know, in goal or taking one of those penalty kicks? You know, sports are so much, just as much mental as it is physical. So I think drawing on that experience, no matter what role you had in that game last year. If you are on the field this year, you know, lean on that experience. And I think that's, that's a priceless way for an athlete to get through it. Hopefully it happens again.
0: Well, I mean, absolutely. And you look at class four as we're heading, you know, uh, everybody's doing their seed meetings this week and, you know, districts will start next Saturday. Class four up and down is loaded. And this may be as deep, of a Class 4 group that I've seen in my years of covering, you know, soccer. When you got a Liberty North team that's playing out of their minds right now out in the western part of the state, St. Joe's, Marquette, you know, having a terrific year. You guys, Lafayette having another terrific year. How Central coming out of nowhere and having a great year? And then you talk about Lee Summit, a team that we've seen in the state Final Four a few times. And class 4 is loaded across the board this year.
1: Yeah. And it makes it real special with the parody. Um, it's anybody's game. And, and again, you know, going back to the tradition of, of high school soccer, we used to not not say, you know, one was, when I was playing, you you didn't really have to think about a central Missouri team or a, or a Kansas city team that was going to cause issues with St. Louis teams. But that's, that's so far from the case. Now, I credit that to the soccer and the state on both sides of the state. Um, and I credit some of these girls' uh, upbringings. I mean, their club programs, their, their parents who have coached them, their club coaches. There's some really good youth programs as there are high schools out there today. And that's just causing, you know, on the boys and girls' side in a sport like soccer where there's so much so much positive history um, to make this, this state tournament just up for grabs for anybody. So there's a lot of factors here that I think contribute that
0: um, with the history of our sport here in st louis well and your district is not going to be the easiest because if everything comes down to it on paper it's going to be you guys in st joe's for a district final and it, you know unfortunately you know this as well as i do that's you know the way that that the state sets everything up the geographic side of everything but you know your district is not going to be the easiest district to get through especially with st joe's sitting there you've got a Pattonville team who, who can play as well with anybody kirkwood Is another team that that could could battle with anybody? Absolutely. Uh, You mentioned
1: the seed meetings. Uh, We have that tonight, so we should know kind of who we play, when we play, and all that good stuff. You mentioned Pattonville. They are the host, um, so they'll be setting all that up. And it is a very good district. We have some new teams in it. Um, And what's interesting this year is that uh, we've only played two of the other seven teams in Kirkwood and St. Joe's. Um, and in some years, you know, we've, we've played the entire district. So in some ways those become easier to see because you have all those head to head matchups and common opponents. This year's a little different because you're really going off of, you know, strength of schedule, schedules itself, you know, quality wins, all those sort of, uh, cliches. Uh, but yeah, us in St. Joe's, it, it just seems to be, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and, and they're in our past every single year, but, uh. You know, what what a great program to be able to experience districts
0: with in St. Joe's with all the respect we have for them. The state of soccer on the girls side in St. Louis is terrific, and it has just gotten better and better over the last, you know, five to seven years. You you know, and you mentioned parity a moment ago. Um, But I also look at the amount of kids that are now we're seeing move on to the next level, the D1 level. I 10 years ago you didn't see a lot of kids moving to D1 on the soccer side of things. Now you're seeing kids from every team across the board getting D1 looks and moving on to D1. And I think that's where the growth of the game has really exploded over the last five to seven years. And the women's game has just exploded, you know, and I credit that to a
1: number of factors, you know, one starting from the top with our U.S. national team and just the the energy that those – those women have put through the young, the the game here. It's been phenomenal. Um, But yeah, the amount of talent that we see day in and day out, you know, even with teams that quote unquote, don't have their best record. It seems like every team on the girl side has a couple headliner players that that are moving on to play. And I think from a coach, from a coach's perspective, you know, Jim, that's what it's all about to kind of see the end, the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel with these kids as a parent myself of two young boys, you know, I'm kind of living all those, you know, hours in the car and airline miles of getting our kids to their club games and showcases and uh, the blood, sweat and tears. And that whole process that these young ladies go through and not just play high school soccer, but that small, you know, the, the segment of kids that are going to move on from a coach from the outside looking in, it's the icing on the cake. Um, You know, like, again, like you you think you see it through the ends, the lens of a parent and just the joy of of those parents seeing their daughters accept, uh, you know, a scholarship and then the signing days and the hoopla that go with it um, is just a joy. And then to follow their paths at places like Illinois, St. Louis University, Illinois State, you know, schools that are within a three hour radius of, of St. Louis is awesome for me and my assistants to go back and watch some of these girls that are competing in our backyard.
0: Well, and you mentioned too, and you look at the level of of girls soccer that has gone to the women's soccer side on the collegiate level. You look at obviously St. Louis U my gosh, the job that they've done there and they're keeping a lot of kids local. You look at what Lori Colotney's done at Maryville. You, you look at McKendree, you know, the great teams that they've cranked out at Mizzou starting to get into the mix a little bit in the sec I think the girls are seeing that there are a lot of great opportunities to play at a high level and stay close to home. That way their family, their friends, their coaches are able to come and see. And I credit a lot of that to the coaches, but also how the college programs have really exploded once again over the last five to seven years.
1: Yeah, you mentioned some really good people there in St. Louis U, Maryville, McKendree. Those three programs have regularly been at our games. Um, And and you can't say that University of Missouri, I know they've had a transition and and they've, they're recruiting St. Louis hard. Um, And I joke with those guys and and one colleague of mine, Chris Allen at St. Louis University, you know, we talked and and you could, you can concoct a very competitive division one team by just recruiting St. Louis alone. Now that sounds easy. Um, A lot of kids want to, you know, leave the area. Uh, There's a lot of factors when you bring in social and academics and geographic. I I get all that. But from a pure soccer standpoint, we are in in a hotbed of girls soccer to where any of those aforementioned programs, uh, Maryville, Mizzou, McKendree, St. Louis University, can recruit right here in St. Louis and not go too far to to make a roster and that's really, really neat. I I applaud those programs. They come out to the high school games. They promote the high school games on social media. When girls commit from our high schools, it's a very nice partnership that we see on social media with the girls clubs, with their high schools. Um, and, And it really kind of celebrates St. Louis soccer because as we all know, each of these players has a story. They've got a high school story. They've got a club story. And they probably have something that started back in the day with CYC or or school soccer as
0: well. You know, and once again, it, I credit a lot to the coaches and all that stuff with the growth of the game. But, you know, I think the other piece of this too is, um, you know, when you look at the coaching on the high school side, you know, you, you're perfect example, you know, talk to you know Dave Ehrenberg from Ladue. A lot of the girls' coaches are also boys' coaches at either their same school or, or you know, like you, for instance, you, you're the boys' coach at Viani, and then you flip over to Nerex in the spring. And I think that's great for coaches to be able to see both sides of, of what soccer's all about. On the boys' side, a little bit more physical. On the girls' side, the physicality's getting there, but a little bit more of a finesse game. And I think it's neat that you guys are able to coach and adjust and adapt to that to give both sets, the boys and girls, Great opportunity, great coaching, leaning on those experiences. Yeah,
1: this has been a really neat, <clears throat> a really neat career path for me. I've enjoyed every bit of it, and and one day I've I've told this to people. It's it's remarkable that I'd like to write a book about the differences of coaching high school boys and high school girls, because on one on one end of the token, you you think there's so many differences, but there's there's really not. Um, i get we are fortunate and when i say we the coaches like dave who you had on a few weeks ago uh to coach both on the boys and girls side to to really hone in on our craft and i think my narynx job has helped me with my Viani job and vice versa you see through see things through different lenses um there's a professional development piece you know maybe something that i do with the girls program. I I might want to try with the boys and and vice versa. And I tell you, in this conversation, this is a credit to the women's game. I mean, 20 years ago, I'm not sure if you'd be talking to a coach who would structure training sessions and talk X's and O's the same with a boys' team and a girls' team.
0: Without a doubt.
1: You can throw that out of the book. I could literally, I could probably stand in the middle of the field, train 18 of my girls to the right, train 18 of my boys to the left, and more or less run the same session, and really have some competitive uh, <laughs> drills and games going because the game has evolved so much on the women's side that they can pick up on everything, and it's and it's great. It's helped me to be a better coach, um, and and I think the players have become better out of it and uh, of itself. So yeah, I, I really attribute that to the coaching aspect. Again, where these girls come from, with their what their
0: upbringing. Without a doubt. And the state of the game, I mean, once again, I, I go back to the soccer park last year for for the girls' finals, the championship day, you know. I mean, obviously, that championship game with you guys in St. Dom's, you know, with around 5,000 people. But just the crowds there, and it just wasn't family, friends, students. It was a casual fan. And you don't really get that in a lot of other sports than what we're seeing in soccer here in the metro area is the casual fan they see a great matchup, they're going to go over to soccer park and they're going to watch high-level soccer. And I think that's the biggest piece that's really helped the sport explode the way it has.
1: And, Jim, I think what you're saying is this this state championship, boys and girls, needs to stay in St. Louis for that Exactly. Reason. Um, I mean, the quality of the state championship will be quality no matter where it's at. But we were fortunate enough to play in a Final Four in Kansas City a handful of years ago. And the quality of the game was there. It was a wonderful event. Uh, Misha did a phenomenal job. But what was missing a little bit was that independent fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fan in Kansas City that just wanted to watch a quality game maybe wasn't there. You just had the Narek green and our opposing teams blue in the stands. But when you come to St. Louis, boys, girls, Friday night, Saturday night, state final, you pick the team. It doesn't matter, public, private, small, large. You're going to get five to 7,000 fans there, whether the teams are local or not, because there's just so many people here that want to experience that. Um, soccer in St. Louis like no other.
0: Without a doubt. And we've seen that with City, what they're doing. And, you know, the crowd for the U.S. women's, you know, game against Ireland. I had, you know, the great opportunity to be at that game. Uh, with my kids over at Rosati which was just for those kids was just an unbelievable experience um, to see all that stuff but you're exactly right you know we got to keep it here i think it's going to stay here and i personally i would love for the state championships to be at city i think that would be the coolest experience for the kids ever to be able to play at city park in that facility which is just unbelievable
1: well, yeah, sitting down there waiting for it to happen. I don't know who you got to talk to to make that work, but uh, that would be the icing on the cake, I think, for our, for our sport. Um, and we were down at that uh, the USA game, too. It was funny, Jim. We, we actually canceled our junior varsity game. We had a game that day against Villa Duchenne. Canceled our junior varsity game because so many of the players on both squads yeah. were, were going down there. And that's how much emphasis we have on the, the, uh, the sport itself at the next level.
0: Oh, I did the same thing. I mean, we were supposed to play a conference game, and I, and I made a yeah. phone call and said, my kids have an opportunity to do this. We, yeah. I can't take this away from it. And once again, you know, the athletic director world, we all understand that, So, which yeah. is really cool.
1: But he had the St. Louis connection with Becky Sauerbrunn, and I know they mentioned Lori
0: Kolebny in that yeah. game as well on the telecast. Uh, it was really special. No doubt. And, and that ties into, you know, me and Dave talked a little bit about this, and I want to get your take on it too you know, about the academy system and what what the world's going on with that, which I think is personally, I hate it. I hate that these academies are making kids, 16, 17, 18 year olds, making decisions that they either have to play with their academy or they can't or they gotta play with their high school. They can't do both. And I think that's a joke. I'm not a fan of that whatsoever. I like how City is formulating their academy program. But I but the others I'm not a fan of because it's taking away from the high school experience for a lot of these kids. And it's really drawn a big, big rift between the club coaches and the high school coaches that we're seeing in a lot of the other sports here in the metro area.
1: Yeah. And I think the issue is, I mean, the uh, the academy system's not going to go away. It, it's a great opportunity, I think. And I, I love that word opportunity because everybody's in a different boat. What, what is great for a player in St. Louis County might not be the greatest opportunity that it is for somebody that's living in Jeff City or Columbia or Kansas City. So I try to take a an objective perspective on this uh, because I really try to keep a partnership with our clubs. Um, again, there's some phenomenal coaches that these kids have. I know a lot of these guys as colleagues, um, but, but I think you hit the nail on the head with the challenge is now the multiple layers of this. Um, where these kids, boys, and girls are having to make a tough choice. And the sad reality of this is that with this choice is is they're making these kids give up something special that's at the fabric of this town, and that's high school sports. And not just sports. I think the schedules of some of these academy calendars is limiting these kids from being kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the few that I know, you know, they're missing their junior ring dances and homecoming dances and proms and um, maybe the multi-sport athlete, which I'm a very big proponent of, um, are having to make tough choices of giving up a sport. So the domino effect here by the tough choice of playing academy or not, I think is what's detrimental to our student athletes. We're, we're kind of hamstringing these kids from just being... Old-fashioned high school kids, um, and the fear in a coach after these boys and girls graduate is a young man or a young woman saying, "Coach, had's you know, if I had it again, I would have played high school." And there's that regret there that you can never get back. And I think, from a coach's perspective,
0: that's that's the saddest part of this when you see the end game for some of these kids. Yeah, and, and that, that, that bothers me with the whole with the whole situation is one and once again, I go back to what I said a minute ago. You're making kids, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, make a decision that they shouldn't have to make right now. You, you know, in high school is the fabric. And what's the first thing that everybody asks you? What high school would you go to? I mean, and that's St. Louis. And, and you know, I, I I think, you know, and, and Dave had a great point with this. What City's doing. Is It's more of a path to the pros, whereas the others are doing a path to college. I disagree with that because our coaches here in the metro area do such an outstanding job in promoting their kids and getting their names out and doing things the right way. That's where I disagree with the academy system because our coaches are doing what they're supposed to do, and that's getting these kids the looks, the talks, in the connections to go to the next level without having to worry about the academy side
1: yeah so my my little 30 second elevator speech would be to a young player you know start with your end in mind and if mom and dad are there if if you're one if your one scenario is to just play professionally okay that's one conversation but i think what we all want at the end of the day is our kids to just go to college. And if they have that opportunity to play soccer, great. Um, let's get a great education. But I think the majority of our student athletes are going to play somewhere in, in college. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the data here and I'm just looking at my roster. University of Dayton, Illinois, Illinois State, St. Louis University, McKendree, Western Kentucky, uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City, Lindenwood. I mean, there's some high level division one, players there that have played four years at Narrick's hall looking at my Viani roster we've got a starting center midfielder at St. Louis University who's a sophomore we just had three college signees last Wednesday so here in St. Louis we're unique we, we our high school kids are getting recruited you know and I know there's a partnership with the clubs um and I want to keep that and I'm for one that would be a proponent of making them both work um you know, I, I know that wouldn't start with me me as a coach, but my gosh, if if Misha would allow these kids who choose to play Academy some sort of wiggle room to salvage some high school soccer, um, I'd be a great proponent to work with that academy director or that coach so that this young player can at least experience it. Now there's some realistic uh expectations that we're gonna have. We don't want players playing six games in six days. So there's going to have to be some give and take, but my gosh, I would love to be able to at least work with a player who's playing for city, Lou St. Louis, Scott Gallagher, any of these great clubs that we have in this town. And if they want to play for Narek's or Vianney, and we can somehow put a rule in there to allow them to do both, we can sit down and make this person's soccer calendar work. Let's do it. Um, I, I, I just don't, It pains me to see the regret in these kids' faces when they come back to me as alumni and say, hey, coach, if I had to do it all over again, um, I would do it, you know? And even when college coaches come and talk to me, Jim, about XYZ player, it's all about their character. It's all about how does this player play with seniors? Maybe it's a younger player who's trying to play up a few levels on a varsity team, or how do they do against maybe a player that isn't isn't as good as them around them, okay? A high school game brings that out, but if you're playing in an academy o five oh six o seven team I don't know how much of that physicality with older players comes out in that game um as, as good as those teams are, I think you and I sometimes would look great in the middle of the field against some of these players. Um, so, that, you know, there's so many elements in a high school game. The style of the game changes. How that player adapts to that, I think, is a value for a college coach. If they're going to take a flyer on a freshman and they have no other way to find out how they play against sophomores, juniors, and seniors, the high school game brings that out. No doubt
0: about it. Well, Brian, it's always great talking to you. I appreciate everything you do and good luck in districts. I know I'm going to be making my way out here over the next few weeks, but can't wait to see you guys play. And I just wish you guys nothing but the best of luck.
1: Thanks for your time, Jim. I
0: appreciate all that you do for high school sports. No, thank you so much. Brian Haddock joins us. He's the head coach over at Eric's Hall. One of the odds-on favorites to make it back to the state Final Four, but things will get kicked off with districts next week. It's going to be a lot of fun to follow. We'll be back next week as we continue to dive into state playoffs as we will be ready for districts in a lot of our sports starting next week. For Coach, I'm Jim Powers. Thanks so much for tuning in to Inside the Lines, a high school sports podcast right here on Scoops with DannyMac.com.